Great. So good to be with you all. I am your brother that you didn't know about. Isn't it great? We're the family of God. We come together and it's, it's great to be my brothers and sisters. We have the same father and I love that. Uh, I pastor a church in Tucson, Arizona called Alive Church. But I think the name of this church could fit right in with that, Alive Church. This seemed very alive. Alan, I love watching you worship. You just about come out of your skin. You're like, you've got this rhythm in you that you can't get out. I love it. That is so great. Just awesome. And uh, Joe and Avril, we, we just love Joe and Avril. And um, I'll never forget the first time that uh, Joe, we went on a mission trip together to Honduras, to the Bay Islands. And uh, Joe, I know you remember this moment, but we stepped off the boat onto the island. And it was like almost instantly he said, I'm called to this. I'm, I'm made for this. I need to do this. Something to that effect. And went home. And started working on selling his business and going into mission work full time. And then he met Avril, thank goodness, somebody to keep him in line. <sighs> That's when his ministry really started. Uh, Avril, we just love, it's so, so fun to be a, a part of that here uh, with you guys and seeing what's going on and um, seeing what's going on here at the church and in this community. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you, what would you describe as a masterpiece? What would be the first thing that would come to your mind? Music, some of you. You know, I'm thinking of these beautiful, beautiful windows up here. I heard the stories behind them. It's so powerful. Some people would think of a painting. Some, yeah. We have all kinds of different things we think of, isn't it? But I want to focus today on a masterpiece of God's. God says that you're a masterpiece. I'm an artist as well, and I'll never forget, I was in a, a gallery in, in Scottsdale, Arizona with a friend of mine who's an artist who has some paintings in there, and they were getting ready to have the show, and they hadn't quite hung everything, and it's very expensive artwork, and uh, we ran into the, um, the man who ran the gallery, and he said, hey, Phil, to my friend, he said, come in here, I want to show you these paintings that we're going to be selling at this auction, and uh, I, I kind of pushed my way in, and he didn't want to let me in. But I was going in to see those paintings, and finally my friend Phil, he realized that uh, the, the, the art gallery owner didn't recognize that I was with him. So Phil said, that, that's my friend Jeff, bring him on in here. And as I walked in the room, there were all these paintings sitting around. Some of my favorite artists, I love Western art, especially wildlife and uh, just the mountains. And some of them, as I looked at them, I couldn't believe I was so close to some of these masterpieces. Several of them worth a million dollars, several of them worth... Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I stood, as I stood among them, I was just amazed. And I have to tell you today, I have that same feeling. I stand in this room, and I'm amazed because I'm standing among masterpieces. That's who you are. God says that of you. He says that you are His masterpiece. His greatest work, the NIV in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says that you are His workmanship. His best work ever sometimes we don't think of ourselves that way do we joe i couldn't help it but as we were going around with you yesterday looking at all those kids everywhere we went and the people that you were pouring life into i kept looking at him saying god they're your masterpiece help me to see them that way i, I want to see others that way i i want us today to not only think of ourselves that way but to see others that way to look at them through god's prism through his vision 
that we would see that they're his masterpiece. Now, even as I say that, I know there's a tension in a lot of us because some of you say, I don't feel like it. And I get that. I read Ephesians 2.10 from NLT. It says, you are God's masterpiece. And I think, yeah, Paul, maybe you are the writer of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, and he writes those words. I look at somebody like Alan up here. Man, he is so full on worship. And I'm like, yeah, maybe Alan. But I know me. And I don't feel like it sometimes. Sometimes I look around at my life and I think, why doesn't my life look like that? Why doesn't it reflect that? That's a good question. That's a great question. Why does not, why is my life, if God says that I'm his masterpiece, why doesn't my life look like that? God created a masterpiece. It's you. I want you to say this with me. Just say, I am a masterpiece. Oh, some of you, you were afraid to say that, weren't you? I want you to say with enthusiasm, I am a masterpiece. One more time. One more time together. I am a masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. There's a part of you, there's a part of us that we say, well, I don't want to be proud. No, this has nothing to do with pride. You see, as an artist, when I paint a painting, there's nothing that the painting reflects back to me and say, hey, I'm proud of who I am. No, because I'm the artist. I'm the one that did the work. God's the one that's done the work and doing the work in us. There's nothing proud about this. This is about us walking in what he's created us to be. His masterpiece, reflecting his glory. In Genesis chapter 1, if you're... If you've ever read much of the Bible, you've probably heard this verse, that God created man, human beings, in his image. Think about that. This is, we are his self-portrait. We're not God. We, we don't have all of God, but we, uh, people can't look at us and say, that, there goes God. There goes Jesus. No. They, they, but they see the reflection of him in us. We're, we're his self-portrait. How terrible that sometimes we we look in the mirror or we look in our own lives and we think the thoughts that we think about ourselves. And and maybe you're there. I mean, maybe somebody somewhere told you. They said to you, hey, you're you're not worthy. You'll never amount to anything. You're not not good enough. I've heard people tell tell others, "You're, you're stupid. Or you're going to end up like this in a very bad way instead of something good. And we begin to buy into that thinking and we let that sink in. And we don't think of this a lot of times, that the sin of that, that we have been given, uh, we are created in God's image and we're his masterpiece. And we have been given the power to, to allow him to change our thoughts. And we just accept these other thoughts as truth instead of looking to him and his word. What he says about us as truth. So today or the next few minutes, I just want to look at the truth about what he says about you. About me. I am his masterpiece. That's life-changing stuff. Would you say it again with me? I am a masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. Let's say it that way. I am God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. That's what I know about you. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never put your faith in him yet, you need to know that that's what he has in store for you. That that when you're not following him, you're walking away from living the life as a masterpiece. 
And today, my hope and prayer is that you would make that decision. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you've put your faith in him, that we would follow him and live as masterpieces. Live the masterpiece life that he has for us. One of my favorite verses in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Now, I know he's not speaking to us personally, and we don't want to take that out of context, but it applies to all of us. He says, I know the plans I have for you, and they're good. Everybody say good. Come on with enthusiasm. Like you were dancing with Alan. Say it. <laughs> that was out of rhythm, so that was good. <laughs> They're good. His plans for you are good, a future and a hope. And we need to think that way. And, and I know there is a variety of age in this room right now. A lot of times as we get older and, you know, as I've gotten older, we, we look at the younger generation we think, they're, they're, they're good. They've got a lot of life left in them. But listen, as long as we have a pulse, as long as we have a breath, God has a purpose and plan for our lives, no matter what our age. We have to constantly discover what that is and live in that purpose. It changes, doesn't it? Some of the things we can do and can't do. Uh, I've had to give up some of my favorite things to do as I've gotten a little older. I'm not that old, but... <laughs> Everybody calls me the grandfather at our church, but, you know. Uh, you know, some of those things change, but God's purpose and plan, he still has that for us. And we need to live that out, that his plans, and, and ask him to help us to live that out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, for God's, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I think you guys have it in the NIV up here. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not for yourselves. It's a gift from God. For we are, let's read that together from there on down. We are God's workmanship. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. The NLT says we are his masterpiece. And it's a good translation. Workmanship is his best work, his masterpiece. Now, I want us to read this again together, but I want to make it personal. I want you to make it personal. Sometimes we forget to take Scripture and make them personal for our lives. When when we read the word we, we're thinking, yeah, that's for everybody else. That's for y'all. Oh, you guys don't say y'all around here, do you? Y'all? You you know what it means? It means everybody. What would you say in its place, Alan? What would you say in place of y'all? You? That's a, that's a complicated translation there. It's over, that's over my head. Okay, so uh, we, we tend to think of it's for somebody else. I want you to make this personal. God's word is personal for us. So every place it says, we, let's say I. Okay? Uh, we get that now. Let's read it together, just starting in the middle there. For I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. For me to do. Man, we, we need to own this truth, this amazing verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. God made a masterpiece, and it's you. Say it again, I am his masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. And as we look at that whole verse, we can't feel prideful about saying it, because he even says there, Paul says there, you're saved by grace. It's not anything you do. It's not anything I've done. He's the artist who has taken the brush and dipped it into life and painted you as his masterpiece. 
And he's doing that every day of your life. He's painting you as his masterpiece. And he, he, he is proud of, of, of you as his sons, his daughters. Kathy and I, my wife, we have four kids. And if you ask us about our kids, we light up. Uh, because we, we're proud of our kids. Ask me if they're perfect. Yeah. No, my kids aren't perfect. Am I proud of them? You bet. I, I'm so excited about their life. I want to be connected with them. And I love them so passionately. I love talking about them. Not because they're perfect, but because they're my kids. They're the best thing that have come out of our lives together. And now something even better. I have a grandson. <laughs> it gets better. Yeah, we, our, our daughter Carly, we go to visit her now and I'm saying, I'm sorry, honey, I really didn't come to see you. <laughs> I came to see Ender, my grandson. We're his masterpiece. There's nothing about that that... That makes that we can think I can take credit for this or that we're proud of. But we've got to walk in this identity. We've got to walk in this title and, and know that. What do we do? How do we live that out? The first thing is that we need to. I just want to give you some really specific actions that we can take to live this out. Uh, we need to accept our new title. I mean, this week, as you're going through the week, there are going to be times that you're going to think back. And if you remember nothing else about What I'm talking about, my prayer is that you will remember, I am God's masterpiece. There are going to be times when you think that, and you're going to go, I don't know. I don't feel like it. You've got to receive that title and walk in that. And and let let me tell you this. there's, There's a secret that you need to know about this. You have an enemy who wants to keep you from living in that title. He wants to beat you down every day. Jesus himself said this. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he came to do. Every day when we wake up, if you're his follower, Jesus, the secret is Christ in you. And Jesus is saying, I want, you to, I want your, my life to be through you and in you, you as, as a masterpiece everywhere you go. And the enemy is saying, I'm going to do everything I can to, to kill that out of you, to steal that from you. To destroy that work of God in you. Masterpiece. Just uh, two years ago, in Germany, they, uh, they found uh, this incredible flat that was full of masterpiece artworks. If you know the history there, uh, Hitler, he actually was an artist, or tried to be. Uh, but he was not a good artist. And if you know his story, his narcissism, his personality... His way of dealing with the fact that he could not be a good artist was to steal all the great artwork everywhere that they went to conquer. So they they stole great pieces of artwork, um, stuff that's priceless today. And they found a flat full of that, and they're still finding it today. It was worth multi-millions of dollars. They're trying to get it back into the hands of the rightful owners or the heirs of the rightful owners. And when I hear that story... I can't help but think about it because a lot of those priceless pieces, when Hitler got to them, he destroyed them because he couldn't paint them. And that's what the enemy does to you. That's what he's trying to do to us. We think, how could anybody do that with a great piece of artwork? Our enemy is just like that. He does not want us to thrive. He does not want us to to be the masterpiece that God created us to be. So we need to be very aware of that. As we receive this new title, as we say, I want to live in this, God. Father, would you help me to walk in this title that you've given me? That I'm your masterpiece. 
Help me to see myself the way you see me. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we've got to live that way. And if you say, well, I, I'm great at this already. I realize some of you, you've lived with, with, as followers of Jesus, you've put your faith in God, and you, you, you've lived a long time as his masterpiece. And you get it. You're living like this. My challenge to you would be that this week, that you would say, God, help me to see every person that I pass by as your masterpiece. Isn't it true that we pass by people sometimes and we overlook them? Maybe it's because of, of uh, how they're connected with us or how they're disconnected with us, the color of their skin or the way they think or their lifestyle. And we think, oh, that's not good. But that we would look at them and say, no, God created this person as his masterpiece. And that I have a part in helping them live that out. That's who we are. Say it again with me. I am God's masterpiece. I am God's So we need to accept our our new title, Masterpiece. God made a masterpiece. It's you. It is you. Uh, The second thing I would really encourage you in a very clear way, a very clear step to take, is recognize that you're the one who gives God the palette to work with. So sometimes we, we ask that question, we go back to the very beginning, we hear we're a masterpiece, and we have this tension of saying, well, why doesn't my life look like a masterpiece? Why is it not, I'm not living like that? Well, this is good news and bad news. God has empowered you to give him the palette to work with. The bad news is we make some bad choices when we give him the palette. See, as an artist, I choose what paint I'm going to put on my palette. And I can only do so much based on what is on the palette. If I only put white and black there, uh, I can only pretty much have a gray painting. I put some green, some yellows. If I don't put any red, you know, there's some primary colors that you just cannot mix. If I don't have a yellow there, you can't mix a yellow. And and, and there are some things on our life palette. Uh, This is our life. Our life is a palette for him to paint the canvas of our life, of his his masterpiece. And I'm just going to challenge you. I can't tell you all of yours, but I I will tell you a few things that we can look to Jesus. And I just want to point you to Jesus. So a few things that that, uh, we see that he put on his palette for God to dip the brush into and paint his life to do the Father's will. The first one would be his attitude. I'm amazed, aren't you, sometimes when I run into some Christians and their attitudes? Anybody besides me? Some of your elbow and the person next to you. Don't do that, okay? Yeah, sometimes, you know, but we see in Scripture the attitude of Jesus. Even Paul writes, he says, though he was God, he did not, not pretend to ascend to that level. He, he humbled himself and went to the cross. That we would take on that attitude. And we would just say, you know, God, check my heart throughout this week. We know when our attitude stinks, don't we? We know when it's off course. We know when it's not like Jesus. I mean, how, how many times throughout the week, my, my attitude, I, I would say, there is no way that Jesus would act like this or think like this. And, and yet we're saying, well, God, why doesn't my life look like a masterpiece? And he's gone, I can't use that on this canvas. That just won't work. That doesn't reflect me. So we've got to be very careful here. We realize how important that is, that every day we'd wake up and say, God, Jesus, give me your attitude. Help me to walk in that attitude throughout, throughout the day. I want to live in that. You know, it's, a, it's amazing that one of the attitudes of Jesus is, is praise and thanksgiving. I was thinking this week even about uh, his, some of his last words on the cross. Uh, when, when he says, why have you forsaken me? 
And what's interesting is a lot of times we don't connect the dots with everything that Jesus said, though. It was, it was right from God's word, and there's a, a prophecy. It's a pointing toward everything that has pointed from the past in the Old Testament to him. And he's quoting Psalm 22. And I got out my Bible, I opened it up, and I read Psalm 22. And if you read it, it starts with those words, and then it goes into praise and thanksgiving. In other words, he's saying, God, I trust you, Father, so much with my life. That here I am on the cross. You have forsaken me. But he goes on to talk about how he praises and thanks God, the Father, that his will, his perfect will is going to be done. And, and sometimes we get into that grumbling and complaining and, 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 and everything, and we're like, God, why, why, why? And we've got to get back to praise and thanksgiving. You guys know how to do that. I saw you. That's not just for Sunday morning. Right? I imagine Alan doing that in his bedroom, dancing around, and yeah, in his PJs. You guys have PJs? Is that what you, okay. Never know what I'm saying sometimes, you know. <laughs> so we need to, when it comes to um, give our life palette, when it comes to what we give God to work with, to dip the brush in, we've got to be very aware. God, give me your attitude. Help me have the attitude of Jesus. Another thing I would really encourage you that, We've got to be very aware of for our palette and know that this changes everything of what he can paint is our values. Now, in art, as an artist, values are very important. Um, and, you know, people who are not into it, they, they can look at a painting and go, that's something's wrong there. They may not be able to describe what's wrong. But as an artist, you look at it and you go, yeah, they got a wrong value. And it has to do with light and darkness and all that. So we, we get it. So even if you look at a painting and go, that something's not right. You see, that, that's true with us in our lives as well. Sometimes we look around and we go, something's not right about their life. It's values. What are Jesus' values that are so important for us? And by the way, a value is something that you really live. You know, a lot of times we talk about values and we think about values and we, we say, I really value this. For instance, a lot of times I hear people in America say, I value health. And that's great. Good value. We should. We're, we're the temple of God's spirit, right? We're his dwelling place. So we should value health. Well, when they tell me that, I always ask them a couple questions. I'll say, so you eat right, right? And they'll go, nah, not really. <laughs> they love sweets. I love sweets, you know. Well, you exercise at least, right? No, not really. Well, see, they don't really value health. They like the idea uh, you know, of valuing health. But a value is something you really live. This is something I own. And and we're not going to go through all of Jesus' values here today. But there are a few that if we're going to follow him, those of you who are his followers, and and if you're not, to know that this is what God has for you. This is the amazing world he has for you. And and one of the values that that we can see in Jesus is that we're to love our Father and to love others. Jesus was asked at one point, what's the greatest commandment? And he, he, he put it all together this way. They were trying to trick him, but he said, Love God, basically, in, in my simplicity here, he says, love God, love others, love your neighbors yourself. And he does something so amazing there. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And what he does when he says that is he goes back to Exodus chapter 20, where we're given the Ten Commandments, and he takes the very first law, the first commandment, and the very last one, and he puts them together, and he says, this is the one. Love God, love others. If you get that, everything in between, you got it. That's it. He says that's how you fulfill the laws. Love God, love others. That needs to be a value in our lives. And if we're not living that way, 
then we're, we're putting something else on our palate and God comes to dip in to paint our lives, to paint our tomorrow, to paint our today. And he's going, I, I can't use that. I, I can't do that because I am love. If there's hatred, if, if there's something in there that doesn't look like love, he says, I can't use that on this canvas. And then we, we, then we get mad at God. Isn't it amazing? We say, God, why aren't you doing what you said? And he's going, i got to have you do your part. I've done my part. I've paved the way. I need you to so submit to me and give yourself so completely to me. And you still have choices. He's given us those power, the, the power of choice through his spirit. Aren't you glad you have his spirit in you to make the right choices? The fruit of the spirit is? Come on, the fruit of the spirit is? You'd think I'd live in that one really well because my last name's Love, wouldn't you? Yeah, just having a name doesn't make it so. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And anything that doesn't look like one of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if it doesn't look like that, I have to recognize that I'm living in Jeff, not in Christ. And there's only one thing I can do at that moment. Jesus, forgive me. Would you live through me? Change me. Transform me. As Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12. So we've got to look at his values there. To love God and love others. And I'll give you one more value of Jesus that we've got to make a part of our lives if we're going to follow him. And live as the masterpiece he created us to be. Everybody say, I am God's masterpiece. I want to know how to live like that, don't you? I want to know how to live as the masterpiece he created me to be. The third value of Jesus, I think, so important is that not only we would love others, but that we would really walk in obedience. Jesus obeyed the Father. Jesus obeyed the Father. Obedience to obey Him in all things. One of the things I find most disturbing as a pastor, I've served in ministry, uh, Alan, thank, thank goodness, was checking me on my age, asked me how long I'd been in the ministry, and I think you said 36 years is what we added up, something like that. I had no idea. I felt tired all of a sudden, Alan. <laughs> felt like I needed a nap, you know. Uh, I didn't realize it had been that long. But one of the things that breaks my heart in ministry is Christians who talk about being mature. And a lot of times we equate maturity with how much we know about the Bible. I'm for all for knowing about the Bible. Man, that is so important. The transforming of our mind, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, God changes us. He transforms us by changing the way we think. We've got to get our thinking in line with his word. But so many times, we as Christians, if you're given the option between going to a Bible study or going and making a disciple, we'll say, I'm going to go to the Bible study. I want to learn more. I don't feel like I'm ready to go make a disciple. And yet Jesus' last command to us was go and make Bible studies. No, he said disciples, didn't he? You know, it's an embarrassing question for us as Christians when somebody says, well, when was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? That's awkward for a lot of us. And yet that's what Jesus came for. You know, when was the last time you took somebody, you led them to Jesus, and you discipled them? For us, for me, sometimes that can be an awkward moment because we're like, I don't know if I've ever really discipled someone. And yet Jesus said this was one of his values. So much so that he made it very clear that he had to pass this on to us. When we look around us, our culture, this earth is only one generation away from the gospel being dead. 
if we don't pass it on the way he told us to. A lot of times we separate in the Bible evangelism and discipleship. Those two cannot be separated. They're one and the same. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, the go part is the evangelism. We have to go. I, I love asking people in my church all the time, especially my leaders, you know, who are the good sinners that you have in your life that you're investing in friendship with? It's so easy in the church that we get just inward focused, not meaning to. No, none of us mean to. But that we forget Jesus was a friend of sinners. And he wore that as a badge of honor. And that's who we are. As God's masterpiece. He didn't, he didn't make his masterpieces to hang in a museum somewhere. He made his masterpieces to go out among those who don't know him. I'm God's masterpiece. And we are living masterpieces. We, we're not to be, be hung up just to be viewed by a few people who understand it. But to be living masterpieces. Jesus to the world. Obedience. Obedience. I, I have to tell you, a few years ago, the Lord really started speaking to me uh, about discipleship. As a pastor, man, I'm passionate about evangelism. Uh, and, and I was one of those people, man, it was about six, seven years ago. And I'd always think of those two as, as different. And sometimes, uh, you know, I, I would think, well, I'm not good at one or the other because that's not my gifting. And, and the Lord, really, I was on a sabbatical. I'll never forget, I was up in the Teton Mountains up in Wyoming. And the Lord started speaking to me and said, man, I called you to make disciples. That's what the church is supposed to do. This is one of my core values. The disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I thought, I better get with it. And at this point, man, God has really called me. I'm immersed in it. That's what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of my life leading people to Jesus and training people to follow him. And then empowering them to go out and do the same thing. That's what we're called to do. Living in that obedience. It's an attitude that I would say, God, open up that opportunity for me. And some of you, as you're listening, you say, well, I just don't feel like I have that opportunity. There's no opportunity for me to share Jesus with someone that doesn't know him. Or there's no opportunity for me to disciple someone. Or you you get the tension of fear. You're like, I'm afraid. All you have to do is be one step ahead of the next person to disciple them. You know, when somebody says, how long do I have to be a Christian to disciple? It's pretty much once you become a Christian, you're already one step ahead of the person who's not a Christian. That's how you start discipling them in that. It's amazing to me that we, we just feel like, I need years of training. Like, we need a seminary degree. Believe me, that, those, that, that thing could be, we, in America, most of us pastors, we call it cemetery degrees. You've got to think about that for a minute. But I'm telling you, it, it'll kill the life of God in you a lot of times. You, because we get out of the Word and we forget. We're try, trying to build something in some organization, some church, and that, that's not what we're about. We're, we're about making disciples. That's how the kingdom goes forward, is that we walk in obedience. And that's what Jesus did. Uh, how, how long does it take to make a disciple? I, I don't know. You know, we, we have a one-year plan that we use, but uh, it took Jesus three years, and um, he still lost one out of that. Uh, I hear people sometimes say, well, I'm going to get a group of 30 or 40, and we're going to disciple them. I'm like, you're not Jesus. You probably ought to just start with a couple. Start with one. Can you imagine how different your church would be, Alan, if everybody listening to my voice discipled one person next year? Imagine how different your community would be if we started seeing somebody else this year who was, we say, man, they're a masterpiece. They're not living that way. 
They don't know Jesus. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to lead them to Jesus. I'm going to pray that God would give me that opportunity. And then I'm going to own the discipleship of that person. That would change and transform our community, wouldn't it? That would change your world around here. It would change our world if, if we would live in that. When I was a, a young teenager, uh, I started painting. And I'll never forget, um, I, I gave paintings away because, you know, you, nobody wants your paintings when you're starting. My grandmother did. My mom did. Uh, in fact, we were just cleaning out some of my dad's stuff recently. My wife, Kathy, we found some things, and she said, did you paint this? It was on glass that I'd given to my grandmother, and somehow it got passed all along, and my dad had it, and I said, yes, throw it away. <laughs> She's like, we should keep that. And I'm like, no, throw it away, you know. But as I got better, you know, my paintings, I start selling them. I'll never forget. I was just a young teenager, and somebody offered me 40 bucks for a painting. I'm like, whoa. You know, first of all, I'm a teenager. 40 bucks buys a lot of pizza. But that somebody wanted one of my paintings that they'd give me money. And they were probably just being nice now that I look back on it. But now as I've advanced, my wife, she sells my paintings. And it's such an honor to have people. And when Kathy sets the prices, do you know how she sets the price for one of my paintings? It's based on what anybody's willing to pay for them. You see... A masterpiece, the way you know it's a masterpiece, is what somebody's willing to pay for it. And God, your loving Heavenly Father, He looked at you and He said, I'm willing to pay the price of my son going to the cross. That's your worth. There is nothing about that that you can brag about, that I can brag about. But to see that reality, when Paul says, we, you, I am his masterpiece. To see the reality of God, the creator of the universe, the one who needs nothing. We can't give him anything that he needs. Only what he desires. That is our love. To see that he said, here's the price I'm willing to pay for this masterpiece. The cross of Jesus Christ. It's very humbling. It's humbling and it should challenge us to say, God, I want to clean off my life palette of the sin that's keeping me from living as a masterpiece. Uh, Of the the fear, the attitudes, anything that doesn't line up with you and your word. I want that off the palette so that you can paint my life as the masterpiece you created it to be every day. Now, um, we handed out a little piece of canvas. I want you all, if you would, to take this out. If you have it... Um, I know you were looking at it and you thought you were going to get a real goodie today. You're going to get a piece of canvas. Here's what I want to ask you to do today. Could we put Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 10 back up here? It's up there? Okay. I, does that mean I didn't go to any of my other verses that I was supposed to? <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. If you have a pen, and if you don't have one, I have plenty of pen. I have a pen. You can write this afterwards. But I want in your own handwriting. I want you to write it personally. Don't write it like, if you feel like, oh, I have to write it just the way it's written, that's great. Write it on one side that way, and on the other side, write it to where you're making it personal. And I've already got mine, for I am God's masterpiece. Um, I I wrote it from the NLT. It says masterpiece. This one says workmanship. Uh, If you want it, New Living Translation is what I usually teach from. But would you write that? I am God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus so I can do the good things he planned for me long ago. And you can take this version up here and write it. But make it personal. And here's what I want to ask you to do this week. Just for a week, 
I'm not asking you to make a lifetime commitment this morning, okay? We can all do this. But just for one week, would you carry this canvas around with you? Uh, This is a canvas just off a stretched artist canvas. We bought it yesterday. Cut it up so you could have a piece of it. Because God is painting on the canvas of your life. Masterpiece. His masterpiece. So I'm going to ask you just to carry this around with you. Put it maybe on your computer screen if you're always sitting in an office. Or maybe on the dashboard of your car if you drive a lot. Maybe in your bathroom, on your bathroom mirror. Maybe you're a person who, if you're like me, I like to carry things in my pocket like this. I put it in my pocket. Every time I stick my hands in my pocket, I pull it out and I go, oh, remind me of this God. Help me to live this. Show me what's keeping me from being the masterpiece you created me to be this week. And deal with those issues right then and, and right there. It's so important that you see yourself as God's masterpiece. Not because you're somebody prideful or pumping yourself up. This isn't like game day where you get out there and say, let's go do this thing. This is this calm assurance of walking in the identity of who he has created you to be and who he paid a tremendous price for. I want to read a few verses for you as you're finishing writing this up and before I pray from Psalm 139. If you don't think you're his masterpiece and that he created you for his glory, I want you to listen to these words. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, there's that word again, your masterpiece, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God took great care to form you, to number your days, to have a plan, a good plan, he says, for each of your days. And that that plan includes us doing the good work that Jesus came to do. He took great care to do that. Can you imagine how your life changes? That that place in your life where when I first said that, you felt like, oh, that's not me. When I said, you're you're God's masterpiece. God created a masterpiece since you, and you felt like, that's not me. How does your life change when you really take on this identity, this title that you're God's masterpiece? Some of those habitual sin things that you're dealing with. When suddenly you realize, oh, there's no way that God can paint my life the way he wants when I continue in that. And to realize it's not about just not doing it, but it's about reveling in the love of the father as his son and his daughter. How does your life change in your relationships? Some of you are married, maybe you're dating someone. Some of you, you have family, extended family. How does that change? Maybe there's tension in there that... You begin to look at others as a masterpiece before you lash out. Can you imagine how life is different? Imagine how it changes our church, the church of God. When we start really seeing that in others, we start celebrating that life. And for you, as the body of Christ, imagine how it changes our community. When they start seeing us, oh yeah, they go to that church up there. They all think people are just amazing and 
that God has a plan for their life. Imagine how that changes our relationship with them. This changes everything. That's why Jesus went to the cross, so that we could have a right relationship with God and we could live as his workmanship, as his masterpiece. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so honored to be here today in Sarepta with this church. They're very alive in your spirit. You have a purpose and plan not only for every individual in here, but for, every, uh, for this church as a body. You've placed Sarepta right here in this community. This community is blessed, will be blessed by them. Because they're your masterpiece, individually and corporately. Your workmanship. And you have a good plan for them. Lord, as a church, I pray not only individually that you would help them to see their identity, their, new, their title in you, for we are, we're a new creation in you. But I pray that you would help them as a church to see that together, they're your masterpiece to this community. As we're praying, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you say, I don't quite live in this, would you just say, Lord, help me this week? Help me to live in this truth that I'm your masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you planned in advance for me to do. And before I quit praying here, as we're praying, if you've really, maybe you've come to church and you've never really made the decision to be all in as a follower of Jesus, Maybe for the first time. This is your moment. And the journey begins with a prayer. And it is just the first step. But just pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I want to invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Remove my guilt and my shame. Help me to begin masterpiece living right now with you. In Jesus' name, amen.